Good morning, TLC. Good morning. Hey, I'm excited for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons I'm excited is this week and next week, there's something going on that I care about a lot that I love, the Wimbledon Championships, all right? So there's like three others of us in the room this morning who really care about this, okay? And we have been loving. I'm a big tennis fan, love tennis. I enjoy tennis in an English garden, the Wimbledon Championships. That's the best English accent I've got, all right? That's, that's what you're getting this morning, okay? I love Wimbledon. I love tennis. Many of you are like, I don't care about tennis, and that's okay. If you've ever tried to watch tennis, you've probably found out it's kind of a complicated game in terms of the, the, the strategy, the system of scoring, the language, all this stuff, right? Uh, I watch tennis a lot, especially when a tournament like Wimbledon's going on, and my wife, Olivia, God bless her, uh, she loves me and tries to, uh, you know, entertain me, so when I'm, I have a match on or something, she'll maybe try and watch it with me and, like, root for the player that I'm rooting for, whatever, and we'll be watching it, and one of the players I'm rooting for will, like, win a point and maybe the game, and I'll be excited, and so she'll get excited with me, and I'll be like, yeah, like, he or she, whoever I'm rooting for, won the game, and she'll be like, awesome, so we can turn it off now. And then I'm like, actually, no, 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 not how it works. Uh, you have to win a certain amount of games, you see, or a certain amount of points to win a game, you see. You have to win a certain amount of games to win a set, and you have to win a certain amount of sets to win a match, all right? And many of you who were thinking about trying to watch Wimbledon have now decided you're not going to try anymore, okay? <laughs> and that's fine, that's fine, okay? I love tennis so much that one of my favorite books, like of all time, is by a former tennis player named Andre Agassi. I have it with me, actually. It's called Open. It's an autobiography. If you are an autobiography fan, which I am, I'm a nerd. The other nerds in the room who love autobiographies, this is like one of the best, okay? Even if you don't like tennis, this book is phenomenal. And in the book, Agassi makes just what I believe is just this incredibly profound observation about tennis and about life. He says in his book, he says this. We've got it on the back screen here. I'm going to read from it. He says, it's no accident, I think, that tennis uses the language of life, advantage, service, fault, break, love. The basic elements of tennis are those of everyday existence because every match is a life in miniature. Even the structure of tennis, the way the pieces fit inside one another like Russian nesting dolls, mimics the structure of our days. Points become games, become sets, become tournaments, and it's also tightly connected that any point can become the turning point. It reminds me of the way seconds become minutes, become hours, and any hour can be our finest or darkest. It's our choice. Oh, so good, right? Andre Agassi, who knew he was a philosopher, right? Oh my gosh, it's so good. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, it's cool, but like, wait, what's fault, service, advantage, love, what are points, sets, game, like, what's this whole thing? Do you see, it's hard to understand the depth and the beauty of this quote from Andre Agassi, if you don't have an understanding of the game of tennis, the, the language, the system, the scoring, but if you have that, the, the, the quote, the observation takes on a whole new level of beauty and power and significance. And that's kind of how the passage that we're going to be uh, engaging with from First Peter is this morning. You see, uh, not tennis, you don't need to know any tennis scoring. Some of you are like, oh no, I, I'm in trouble this morning. No. But there are some titles given to the Israelite people in the Old Testament. There's uh, the significance of, of a thing called the temple and, and uh, some imagery around that, that, that if we don't do the hard work to sort of get behind that and uncover it, we're going to miss some of the power and the beauty and the significance of our passage this morning. And I promise you, if we do the work, and we're going to try this morning, 
If we do that, uh, this passage will shine in many more powerful and beautiful ways, even than that Andre Agassi quote, all right? I promise you. So uh, we're going to jump in this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Torn had you guys stand last week for the reading. We're going to be uh, reading this passage in its entirety. So I'd love to uh, have you guys stand again this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. We're going to have it on the back screen as well. Here we go. Let's jump in. It says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life, or wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. You take a seat. So if you're like me, your head is like spinning, okay? Because the, the most of that passage is like, stones, like it says stone like six times, there's even, or five times, there's even a rock thrown in there. It's like, wait, wait, stones, cornerstones, something about a spiritual house, like something's being built, like what's going on, right? You're not alone, okay? It's, it's a little confusing. And we're going to jump into some of that complicated stuff. Before we do that, there's some stuff that's a little more straightforward uh, towards the end of the verse that we read this morning, where Peter kind of gives some titles to uh, these churches that he's writing to. So this morning is going to kind of be like two sermons in one, all right? It's a, sort of a two-for-one special. We're going to focus on the last bit uh, first, and then we're going to jump to the beginning and get into some of the more nuanced, complicated stuff, all right? So just a reminder, we're in a series, Never Let Go, uh, a series working through 1 Peter. And just a reminder, 1 Peter is this letter written by Peter to a, a collection of churches in Asia Minor. And these churches are made up of people who are mostly what the Bible calls Gentiles. Everybody say Gentiles. Gentiles. When you read or hear that, just think, not Israelite, okay? These are people not with Jewish heritage, and many of the people that Peter's writing to are Gentiles. There's some Israelites, but most are Gentiles, and, and this collection of churches is under intense, heavy persecution, and they're trying to sort out what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a church. And among other things, Peter is intently focused on trying to convince this group of people that they are part of a new heritage, that they are part of a, a new people of God. And he's trying to connect this new group of Christians' identity to the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelites. And, and Peter's trying to do everything he can to convince these people of their uh, shared identity now as the people of God. And he's using all these different ways to do this uh, crazy imagery like stones and living stones. We're going to get to that. But one of the other ways that he does this is through a series of titles. And you heard this at the end of the passage we just read, right? Like your, your blood got boiling, like in a good way, and uh, you're feeling all warm and fuzzy, right? Like you're a chosen people 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Sounds awesome, right? Sounds so good. You see, what Peter is doing is he's taking all of these titles that have been given to the Israelite people in the Old Testament, and he's now ascribing them to this new group of Christians that he's writing to scattered across Asia Minor. And he's saying that you are now the people of God. And all the blessings, all the benefits that had been given to the Israelite people in the Old Testament are now available to you and even greater blessings. You are now the people of God. And he's yanking all these different titles from the Old Testament. So, so we're going to actually uh, go through a few of those, all right? So we're going to scan a few of these really quick. Peter says to the new Christians in scattered across Asia Minor, you are a chosen people. He says you're a chosen people. Well, listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 43, uh, verses 20 and 21. It says this through the prophet Isaiah, the wild animals honor me the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Peter also tells these new Christians that through their faith and belief in Jesus that they are now a holy nation, that they are a royal priesthood. Listen to what Yahweh says to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. It says, although the whole earth is mine, Yahweh says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Peter also tell these, tells these new Christians that through their faith and belief in Jesus, that they are God's special possession. Listen to what God says in, uh, through the prophet Malachi, all the way at the end of the Old Testament. It's like the last page of the Old Testament. In chapter 3, verse 17, it says, God says, On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And then Peter says that uh, through your faith and belief in Jesus, you were not a people of God. Now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. Listen to what God says through the prophet Hosea in chapter 2, verse 23. It says this, God says, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those who called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. These are just a few of the ways that Peter is pulling all of these titles, this shared identity that the people of God had in the Old Testament, and Peter's begging, he's insisting, he's urging this group of people, you are part of a new heritage. You are part of the people of God. Through your faith and belief in Jesus, you are now woven into the family of God, the people that God wants to use to bring others out of darkness and into light the people that God wants to grant his blessing and his peace and his presence to, the people that God wants to give complete access to come to God's throne and to talk and to pray with and to know and to be known by the creator of the universe, the God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxy. And Peter is saying, let that sink in. And I think that there are some of us in the room this morning, we get this. Like we understand this, we are, we are part of the people of God. We've been woven into the family of God. It's awesome, it's great, we love it. And I'm so glad for you, I really am. But my guess is there are others of us in the room who need to hear this 
this morning or believe this this morning. Maybe we believed it at one point in time, but no longer. Or maybe we've never heard this, we've never believed this. Maybe some of us, similar to some of the people in the churches that Peter was writing to, have experienced a period of real suffering. It's been really hard. And it's been easier to focus on the things that are going wrong rather than to focus on our connection to the one who will make all things right. Or maybe we're having like a totally different experience right now in our lives. Like for us, things are up and to the right. And I'm feeling myself a little bit. I'm showing up, I'm standing out. And the last thing that I want is for one of the most important things about me to be connected to a group of people. You see, I don't wanna be a people, I wanna be a person. Like I wanna be an individual. I wanna stand out. And maybe there's others of us in the room similar also to the people in some of the churches Peter was writing to where we've found it all too easy to stray away from the way that we know God wants us to live. And we've made choices and we've made decisions that wouldn't necessarily be categorized as holy living. And we couldn't possibly imagine the idea that God wants to welcome us in to the family of God. Wherever we are this morning, wherever we are, let's receive the words of Scripture, the promises of Scripture this morning, that through your faith and belief in Jesus, you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. People who were not people of God are now people of God. People who had not received mercy have now received mercy after mercy after mercy. That through your faith and belief in Jesus, you are part of the people of God. We together have been woven into the very family of people that God wants to grant his blessing and his peace and his presence to. The people that God wants to give complete access to come to God's throne and to to know and to experience him, to talk and to pray with him, to know the creator of the universe, the God who created the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxies, the, the people that God wants to use to bring others out of darkness and into light. You are part of that people. You are part of that family. Let that sink in this morning. I want everybody uh, just like to yourself, just say, I am part of the family of God. Say, I am part of the family of God. One more time, because we're, we're uh, kind of asleep. So one more time. I am part of the family of God. That's the end of sermon one, okay? So now you can go home and you can be like, somebody can ask how, how church was and you can say, good, I preached the sermon and it was pretty good. All right, that's the end of sermon one. Now we're going to jump into, so Peter establishes, he ends with this shared identity, this fact that we are now part of the people of God. But before that, we, we had some complicated stuff, some nuanced stuff that we're going to kind of uncover. All right, so to do that, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever built something, and uh, at the beginning of the building process, or maybe somewhere in the middle, there was a piece that was really important to this whole building project that you were working on, and uh, you kind of like, I got a carpenter in the front who's just smiling as I'm, uh, as I'm saying this. Uh, anyway, uh, a piece that you just like, you thought was important, and, uh, or sorry, you didn't think it was important, and then by the time you got to the end of the project, you realized, oh man, that piece was really important. I should have paid more attention. 
uh, Olivia and I, we, uh, my wife Olivia, we bought a house like a year ago, and then we spent a few months after that just like buying furniture. <clears throat> um, the worst. Anyway, uh, Olivia wanted a vanity, so we got a vanity, and uh, we uh, we ordered it on Amazon. So it's not like super nice or anything, but it looks cute. And uh, it's supposed to get here, you know, on a certain day or whatever. And uh, on the app, it says, like, it's been delivered. And I remember, like, it was, like, delivered. I'm looking out my front porch, and I'm like, I don't see a big box or anything. So I'm like, well, maybe they left it, like, around the side or something. So I open the door, and I see this. The, the vanity is supposed to be, like, this big, right? Like, this wide, this, this high, this deep, you know? Like, imagine, like, a small desk, okay? And I open the door to find this vanity, and uh, there's a box on our front porch, like, this big. And if you ever are ordering something and it's supposed to be like this big, this high, this deep, and it comes in a box like this big, you know you're in for a good time, right? And uh, so Olivia was uh, going to bed and I was like, oh, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to put it together tonight. She'll wake up in the morning and the vanity will be there. She can get ready with the vanity or whatever because sometimes I'm a good husband, just sometimes. And uh, so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's nighttime. I'm putting this vanity together and there's a piece that... I don't really understand. The, the directions don't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not clicking for me. And so I just kind of like throw it to the side. I'm like, oh, I'll just throw it here. Whatever. I'll, I'll put it there and uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, um, the only problem was this piece at the beginning was actually like the most important piece of the whole vanity. In fact, it's kind of what dictated what the front of the vanity was and what the back of the vanity was. So when I got done with the whole vanity, the front was supposed to be the back and the back was supposed to be the front. So I guess you got to like take apart this whole thing and redo it. This guy, I was not in a good place emotionally that night, okay? I was like, Olivia's going to have this vanity. I may not still be awake putting it together when she wakes up, but she's going to have the vanity when she wakes up in the morning. This is kind of like what Peter describes uh, with Jesus as the cornerstone who's been rejected. Let's jump into the, the first four verses again. I want to read them uh, one more time. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. It says, as you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Side note, I love that Peter's subliminally just saying, like, no one steps around Jesus. Like, no one steps around. You, you, you accept and you put your trust or you stumble and you fall. No one steps around Jesus. But that's a separate sermon. We're only doing two today. So uh, the last bit of the verses, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. That could also be a separate message, uh, a different way of uh, saying God predicted this, that people would reject Jesus. So I think the best way to kind of understand uh, what Peter is saying is to sort of like imagine the Israelite people, okay? The Jewish people, the, the people of God. And God comes to these people and towards the very beginning of the Bible. At first, it's just this guy named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, later he says to the Israelites, hey, like, I want to build my kingdom with you. I want to use you to, be, uh, to begin to build a place where my rule and my reign is, where people can experience my goodness and my justice and beauty. And the Israelites at first, Abraham, later the Israelites are like, Sure. Right? Okay, so, so uh, God, what God begins to do is God begins to, to give these Israelite people, these are metaphorical stones, okay? 
He's giving them these stones to begin to build, through the Spirit of God, build God's kingdom. So, so he gives Abraham and the covenant and, and Moses and the Exodus and the Ten Commandments and the prophets and all these different things God's giving to the Israelites, these metaphorical stones, and they're taking, and through the Spirit of God, they're beginning to build God's kingdom. They're beginning to create a place and a space where others can experience God's rule and reign, his goodness, justice, and beauty, right? And what Peter says is that, that Jesus is the cornerstone. So what happens is God sends uh, his only son. He sends Jesus to the Israelite people. He, he sends Jesus the living stone. And, and Jesus, Peter says Jesus is the cornerstone. In other words, Jesus is the one that everything else is meant to be built on, that everything else makes sense out of. And God sends Jesus this living stone, the cornerstone. And I just imagine the best way to sort of picture it is uh, the Israelites sort of take Jesus, this living stone, this cornerstone, and it doesn't make sense. Jesus doesn't make sense to them. He, and so they reject Jesus. They throw him to the side. And Peter says Jesus is the cornerstone, that he's been rejected, that, that God would predict this, the prophets would predict this, that Jesus, the cornerstone, would be rejected. And then Peter does this crazy thing where he says that we, when we come to Jesus, the living stone, when we come to Jesus who is the cornerstone, we become like Jesus. We become like living stones. So God was going to use Jesus as the cornerstone, right? He's going he's to build everything off of Jesus, and Jesus is the living stone. And Peter says, we become like a living stone. We become like Jesus, a person who God wants to use to build something. So the only question left to ask then is, well, what is God building? Well, it says it in the passage. It says, you are a living stone being built as a spiritual house. Now, if you have a reference Bible, you might notice there's a, an alternate translation that says, uh, rather than spiritual house, a, a spiritual temple. Or a literal translation, uh, one reads, a temple of the Spirit. So Peter's saying this crazy thing. He's saying that when you come to Jesus, you become like a living stone and you're built into a spiritual temple, which is like bonkers at the time. Okay, for us, it sounds like just like a weird foreign phrase. doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. But to Peter's audience, they would have been like, wait, what? And so to understand the significance of what Peter's saying, we have to sort of understand the significance of this temple that Peter's talking about. So to do that, we're going to have to do something. Uh, I need everyone to pull out their thinking caps, okay? Pull your thing. No, nobody's too cool for school here today, okay? We're pulling out our thinking caps, and we're putting it on. I need everybody to pull that thinking cap. Strap it on real tight. If you brought two and your neighbor forgot theirs, give, give, uh, give the extra one that you have to your neighbor. They're going to need it, okay? We're going to put our thinking caps on. We're holding on to them real tight for a few minutes as we try to sort of understand the significance of what Peter's saying, the significance of the, the temple, all right? So we're going to back out, all right? Ready? So at the, in the Bible... There is a way of talking about the space that humans interact with and the space that God interacts with. These spaces are often referred to as earth and heaven, okay? Heaven and earth. And earth is the space where, where humans reside. And there's, there's goodness, there's beauty, but there's also, it's full of sin and brokenness and something just isn't right. And heaven... Heaven is the space where God resides. Heaven is where God rules and reigns, where God's justice and goodness and beauty can be touched and seen and experienced. Like there's so many good things in heaven. 
I made a joke last service, like Krispy Kreme donuts are heaven. But wait, are they earth? I don't know. Which one are they? They're so delicious. Either way, just a joke, separate. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's heaven and there's earth, right? There's heaven and there's earth. Now, in the Bible, these two spaces were not always separate. They weren't always separate. In fact, in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, there's a garden. All the way at the beginning, there's a garden called Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, it's described that that God and humans hung out together perfectly. No separation. And God actually even asked humans to help God build a flourishing world. And humans did this. But then, according to the book of Genesis, what happened was, is humans wanted to do things a different way. They wanted to do things separate. They wanted to do things apart from God. And so we have this separation of heaven and earth, of God's space and human space. And the whole story, if you hear one thing this morning, maybe it's this, okay? The whole story of the Bible, really, is about how God is about the way that these spaces have been separated and how God is working to bring the two back together, heaven and earth. And in the scriptures, there are certain moments, I like to picture it as a Venn diagram, okay? So like heaven and earth, okay? And in the scriptures, there are certain moments where heaven meets earth, like a Venn diagram where it like overlaps. This is me doing a Venn diagram, okay? I should have been a math teacher, is what I said last service, okay? So heaven and earth overlap. There's certain moments where heaven meets earth. And for centuries, for centuries, the main way, the main system, the main method, the main place where heaven met earth, where God's presence resided, was the temple. The temple was where God's presence was. The temple was where heaven met earth. At first, it was, a, it was called, it was really like a tent, and it was called a tabernacle. But then it got like built, like a whole building with gold and flowers and jewelry and everything, and it was called a, a, a temple. But in both places, there was always a center spot that was called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a spot where God's presence, it was literally God's manifestation of his presence on earth was the Holy of Holies in the temple or the tabernacle. And to enter this, only one person could is the royal priest. And there was a whole set of rituals and things that the royal priest had to do to enter and to experience and be with the presence of God on behalf of the people of God. All this to say... All this to say, the temple was the main system. It was the main method. It was the main place where human space met God's space, where heaven met earth. All right, are we tracking? Yeah, thumbs up? Okay, so this is so cool. So cool. When Jesus comes in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. Jesus has arrived, and in John chapter 1, that's a, this is a, a book that just tells the life and the story of Jesus. In verse 14, it says, The Word, that's just another way to say Jesus, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. I want to read the first part of that verse one more time. It says the Word, that's another phrase for Jesus. So the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That word dwelling, if you read like any commentary ever on the Gospel of John, they will all tell you that that word dwelling is a Greek translation of a word that was used to describe the tabernacle, a word that was used to describe the temple, a word that was used to describe God's presence here on earth. In other words, what John is saying is that Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the place. He's the space. He's the person where heaven meets earth. 
where God continues in the work of bringing the two together. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus spends his entire time here on earth helping others experience God's presence, exposing them to the goodness and the justice and the beauty of God. In fact, that's what, when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, he says the last thing you should pray for is that things would be done on earth as they are in heaven. He's saying pray that heaven would meet earth. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the thing that everything is built on and everything is built out of. And Jesus is a living stone who is the temple, the place where heaven meets earth. And Peter says, this is bonkers. Peter says that when we come to Jesus, we become like Jesus. We become like a living stone, like Jesus is a living stone. And we become, we're being built into a spiritual temple, like Jesus is a temple. A place where heaven and earth meet. All right, we can take our thinking caps off, okay? Take them off. Oh, I know, it was really tight, probably. Uh, It got really heavy at one point. We can take it off. It's all arrived at a place where we can say that Peter's audience, unlike us, would not have heard Peter saying some weird foreign phrase that they didn't understand when Peter said, you're a living stone being built into a spiritual temple. No, instead, what they heard was something incredibly provocative. What they heard was Peter telling them that they... When they come to Jesus, they become like him, and they are being built into a spiritual temple, a place where heaven and earth meet, and God continues in the work of bringing the two together. And hopefully, through the help of our handy-dandy thinking caps, we hear the very same thing, that we are being built into a spiritual temple, that we are a living stone. And you're like, but I just work at Starbucks, bro. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? Peter is saying that through your faith and belief in Jesus that you are a living stone. A person that God wants to use to build something. A person that God wants to use uh, to build a spiritual temple. A place where heaven and earth meet. Or maybe you're like, I'm just a stay-at-home parent. And I kind of spend like most of my days wiping snotty noses and just like keeping my kids alive. You're also a living stone being built into a spiritual temple, a place where God's excellence and mercy is proclaimed. Or maybe you're like, I haven't been to church in over a year. I don't even know if God wants anything to do with me. I'm here to tell you this morning that through faith and belief in Jesus, you are a living stone being built into a spiritual temple, a place where God's goodness and justice and mercy can be experienced. Or maybe you're like, no, 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 but things have like changed so much for me in the last few months. Like everything about my life has changed and I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. I don't even know where I'm supposed to go or where I'm supposed to live. You're also a living stone being built into a spiritual temple, a source of light in the darkness. And last, maybe this one resonates with me. Maybe you're like, but I don't know all the answers. Like, I don't know all the theology. I don't know the answers to a lot of the questions that people have for me. I don't even know the answers to my own questions. 
you are also a living stone being built into a spiritual temple, a place where heaven and earth meet. And if you're like feeling a little overwhelmed, like, oh my gosh, this feels like a lot. I'm a living stone. God's going to use me to build in the place where heaven and earth meet. That's okay, because notice how Peter ends this passage that we read this morning. He ends with telling us our collective identity. That we're not meant to do this alone. That we're not meant to be this alone. That we, together as the church, are a living stone. And that we, together, this, this group of people that meets in the Watermark Business Center that you can't find unless we got all the signs on Sunday morning, that we are a living stone being built together as a place where heaven and earth meet. And it's called a, a spiritual temple. That doesn't necessarily mean that we can't have a building and that we're not allowed to do that. No, it's not telling us what kind of temple it is. It's telling us who owns the temple. Like the Spirit of God owns this people and this place. And we together are a living stone. And all this, all this stuff, I want you to uh, really quick turn to your neighbor on the right and tell them, tell them, you are a living stone. And if you're on the end, say it back to the person, okay? All right, now I want you to look to the person on your left and say, being built into a spiritual temple. Being built into a spiritual temple. All right, now I want you to just look, look, uh, look upward, inward, just, you know, look at yourself or whatever and say, a place where heaven and earth meet. You guys just preached two sermons this morning. That's the second sermon. You go out, you say, how was church? You say, I preached two sermons this morning. All this begins, though, all this stuff, this connection to our identity of the people, the family of God, our, our reality of, as a living stone being built into a spiritual temple, all of it begins with a phrase that Peter uses, as you come to him, as you come to him. Peter's saying that all of this starts with a hunger, with a desire, a torn called last week, a craving. As you come to Jesus, as you come to the living stone. And so church, would we just be reminded this morning as we leave here that, that all of this begins with our desire, that all of this continually happens as we continually submit our lives and we bow down at the feet of Jesus and we submit our lives to him in humility and we surrender and we say, we can't do it without you. We need to do this with you, Jesus. And as we leave here this morning, would, be, would we be please, please, please reminded that we are part of the family of God, that we are a chosen people God's special possession who have received mercy after mercy after mercy, and that we are a living stone, a person that God wants to use to build a spiritual temple, a place where heaven and earth meet, where God's goodness and justice and beauty can be experienced, where they can be touched and seen. The, the light out of darkness would just be shouted from the rooftops in this place. Amen, and may it be so. All right. Will you guys pray with me really quick? God, we are so thankful uh, for you and uh, just the opportunity to gather and to worship in this place.
God, we're thankful for the shared identity that we have. One of the most important things about us is that, that we are part of the family of God, that, that you are using us as living stones and building us as a spiritual temple, a place where your presence, where your goodness and justice and beauty and mercy can be touched and seen and experienced. And so, God, I just pray over our church, I pray over this group of people, that we would step into these realities through your grace, through the Spirit of God, that we would uh, further and further desire and crave you, that we would come to you more and more, and that we would become more and more part of your family, part of the living stone being built into a spiritual temple. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray all of these things. It's in your name that we have our hope and our life, and it's in your name that we gather this morning. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.